The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we have an international superstar who usually is in London, but is talking to us today from Panama. And that is no other than Pierre Marsh, who is going to tell you about his, his life as a civil and commercial mediator, but more importantly, about his experience with neurodiversity, specifically dyslexia and all associated stuff. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Welcome, Pierre. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. So uh, what are you doing over there in Panama? Well, fun enough, when I retired from the fire service after 28 years of service and became a civil and commercial mediator, I decided to uh, change location because I decided that you can do majority of what I need to do online uh, and communicate this way. So why did I need to be in London? So I moved. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, introduce our audience to you. Introduce yourself, if you could. Well, basically, I was born in 1964 in London, and I have to say to quite a, an interesting time. I was a mixed race uh, guy uh, at a time when there was a lot of uh, racial unrest. Uh, fun enough, pretty much as we see today, things hasn't moved on too much. And of course, um, I was uh, dyslexic at the time, and my mother was uh, very dyslexic. And during that particular time, if you had uh, problems in reading and writing, you were referred to the authorities, the psychologist and the psychiatrist who did assessments. And their understanding of uh, developmental issues were considered as uh, pathological issues. And you were treated as such. So as such, uh, me and my brother were placed into children's homes and then further assessed as being senior maladjusted because we were having difficulties with uh, reading and writing and not learning. Uh, and then we were put into a special school, which was called a maladjusted boarding school at the time. And so that was our, our start. So it was pretty challenging uh, and, uh, you know, revealing at the time. But after I left school, um, because we lost contact with our parents, and these are the type of impacts these organizations had on us at the time, we survived by ourselves at the age of 16, being completely unable, both of us uh, not being able to read at all. And we found our saving grace. And it's funny that you mentioned sport. We found our saving grace, like so many people from the neurodivergent families do, in sport, which gave us discipline. It gave us focus somewhere to go to. And more, more, more often than not, started to get us qualifications where you didn't have to take uh, written tests. So these were practical tests. So we became swimming teachers and, you know, uh, diving teachers uh, to start with, which gave us a living, lifeguards. So from the age of 16 up until, I suppose, the age of 18, me and my brother survived uh, in the adult world by learning through sport and teaching through sport. 
Well, that's great. Now, let's fast forward just for the sake of our audience to catch up. Tell us what you do now for a living. Well, I'm just uh, finishing a book, which I thought was very important. I took time out to write this book about neurodivergence. And the reasons why I wrote this book, because I became very involved in the fire service when there was a law change in 2004, which uh, sort of said that people who are have a disability or who have uh, a neurodivergence could actually become firefighters. There was no restriction on it. Before then, uh, the law didn't account for them. And funny enough, in a fire service, there's huge amounts of uh, dyslexics and dyspraxics and Asperger's, uh, and you'll find in lots of uh, occupations. But the system didn't have a way of mediating that difference with the very strict structures of the organization. And also the uh, organization really didn't have a clue in how to develop people who were neurodivergent, who came out and said they were neurodivergent. So I developed these skills and also this particular understanding. And when I left the fire service, I decided, um, how to, because I studied two degrees in the fire service, just to prove to myself, finally, I could uh, read and write and obtain academic qualifications. I wanted to put them to use. And I put them to use through taking further qualifications, became a CPD provider, and that was trainer, and did a course in uh, dyslexia within risk-critical occupations, where I was offering organizations the opportunity to uh, understand uh, a different way of thinking which was very effective in crisis situations, which seemed to be overlooked somewhat, and also help people who deal with very stressful situations, how to understand their thinking styles and apply it, even though they're usually trained for a very strict sequential process in order to achieve outcomes. Moving that forward, I started to get involved with one or two other people who, who were activists, if you like, in neurodivergence, a guy called Dr. Ross Cooper, who is uh, dyslexic himself and also an author. And, and we started to get involved in producing uh, links with the government in terms of what they should be thinking about. And we actually did a Westminster commission, a short commission, which looked at the barriers to employment through neurodiverse uh, perspective. But all through that, none of it works unless you have someone who's going to be an advocate for neurodivergence, from a neurodivergence perspective, because it's all technical. Because if you're having uh, challenges at work or challenges in, in business, often you come from a neurodivergence perspective and the people you're talking to maybe with good faith, maybe not with good faith, um, impact on that dialogue, that association, which really restricts progress and understanding. So that's how I got involved in that. Very interesting, very interesting. Tell us what made you decide to tell your story and to advocate and to be out there and to write books and do all the stuff you're doing? Well, one of the things is, you know, when I said uh, I was in a children's home, the psychiatrist turned around and assessed me as being retarded and 
having all of these lack of capabilities. Now, that was science. That was a scientific perspective at the time being applied in good faith to measure what someone was and the likelihood of where they would come. Obviously, in my mind, I'm happy to say I think that, that analysis was completely wrong and the science was completely uh, useless. Uh, it was looking at particular things other than intellect at that, at that time. So one of the things I'm passionate about, there are so many brilliant neurodivergent people out there and they've done very well or not so well. And I believe that what we've got to do is get that intelligence released and we've got to talk about it. And we've got to talk about the ugly side of the process as well in order to release the brilliance. For example, one of my friends, uh, I know you're a doctor, he's a gynecologist and he's definitely on the spectrum. You know, you are talking, you know, the Asperger sort of spectrum. And for years when I knew him, we, we, we really didn't talk a lot. His head was down, focused on computer games all the time. But when he came to one of my courses, he suddenly realized a lot of his difference and the challenges he was having with, you know, hospitals of very hierarchical systems and, and so forth, that that was because of his perspective. And what he needed to do is understand his perspective in order to have a better chance of doing well at work. So even if you are a... Uh, senior house doctor, that doesn't mean to say your potential can't go a lot further if you understand your perspective a bit better. Because no one teaches you it. It's like a discovery. You have to go all through your life. So this is what the idea of the book is, to actually point out, first of all, the language which identified me as being, you know, senior maladjusted and all these types of things. It's not necessarily the best language to identify the capability of the person. However, it's the dominant language. What we've got to do is develop a language which says, hold on, that's one way of thinking, but here's a neurodivergent way of thinking. This is where we believe the intelligence is, and more importantly, we believe this is where other disciplines have to start doing the work to understand how to create a pedagogy, a education system, which releases people right from the very beginning so that they really do fulfill their full potential. And in order to do that, it cannot, by definition, be one size fits all, and it must no. expose the individual to different types of lives they can have so they can pick and choose. Um, our interns here at Different Brains um, they get exposed to video editing, audio, they get exposed to writing, researching, doing articles, webmastering, and they find what they like if they get exposed to it, yeah. you know? And our educational system and our employment system doesn't really do that. It's much, much more inclined to have one size fits all and then put you in one compartment and, and that's it. Um, how can our audience learn more about you? Well, at the moment, um, I, as I'm saying, I'm going through this editing phase of the book, so I'm, I'm pretty 
have focused on that. Um, so it, that book, hopefully, when I get the permissions, because once it's gone to the editors, then all the lawyers get involved. And then because I'm using all of this material, they're all panicking. And I'm saying, I've got to tell the story as it is. It's my story. It's my records. Um, but it does come from an authority. And they're thinking, oh, my God, they, they're all going to be panicked. But I, I've written to the authority, and uh, they're very positive because I was working with the University of Kingston uh, helping social workers get their head around some of this stuff. But, you know, um, what I'm going to say is I'm going to be working very closely with a colleague soon to put up a website, which I hope is going to be of value. And what that website is going to do, primarily I'm going to put it up to try answer questions within the limitations I have of people who are having conflicts within the workplace in order to try to give them a few sets of tools uh, so that they're more focused on getting an outcome based on their, their difference. And like you said, in your workplace where you are, um, it takes a myriad. That's the holistic approach I find is, is missing in a lot of places, um, where people are allowed to express themselves, their intellect through verbal means. I'm great talking to people. I'm great communicating to people. I'm okay when it comes to the written text, but I'm much better when I'm verbalizing myself. I'm much better when I'm playing the guitar. I'm a brilliant musician and brilliant at, at singing songwriting. I'm great at that medium, but it's nowhere near matched with my intellect when it comes to writing a book or so forth. That's a big challenge, but nonetheless, we undertake it. So, I, I, well, is, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but I, I did want to ask you this, and when you're writing the book, and I know this when I wrote the Asper Tools book, um, which was published by HCI Books, who did Chicken Soup for the Soul. To my surprise, they they gave me a contract for that. But um, um, I find, and I've written six screenplays too. But I find, I find writing uh, gets defined wrongly. What do I mean by that? Um, some people think writing means you have to sit down at a computer. Some people think you have to hand write it out. Some people think you dictate it, okay? I do all three because they all use different parts of your brain, you know? So I can do a scene for a script and I can type it and I can write it and then I can dictate it and it's like three different scenes because it's a different wiring yeah. in your brain going on. Um, what is your method? Well, my method is, um Traditionally, I, I, I've been writing down on a computer, and the problem I have is the sequential of it once it's all down there. Um, because when you go on a computer and trying to find something, there's yards and yards and yards and yards and yards of it. And then when you try to organize it into uh, a, a sequence which makes sense, this is the sequential process which needs to kick in now, um, it becomes very challenging. So basically what I've started to do is I need pictorial references. So this report where I've got all of these photographs which I've taken off the report becomes the story. So I use one computer with all the photographs with the story 
And then once I need to get the sequential processing, I bring the photograph into the text, which then stabilizes everything to make sense. So that's really how I'm doing it. What I would like to do is print the whole thing out and have it all on the floor. <laughs> um, but at, at the moment, I haven't got time. And then just put it into place. So using visual um, uh, references. Very interesting. And that's, that's one, the way. One of the, uh, one of the techniques the old timers taught me was, and I did this when I was writing my first uh, thing, my first script, is uh, using index cards and thumbtacks. And you can always just move around the index cards how you want. Um, if we fast forward to now, what I do is I put everything in a master Word document. And every time I work on it, I then save as a different name to the document with the new date. And I can always search a Word document for any phrase or word that I want if I forget where I put it and everything. I find it myself. Uh, I don't worry about editing by deletion because that's what the first draft editor can do. In other words, I try to teach that, you know, people think they're supposed to be the whole package, and we're not. We can do no. one thing, and somebody else can do another. So I was very fortunate uh, um, when I'm writing, uh, like, the, a book or something. I just spew it all out, and I give it to the editor. The first editor, the first draft editor I give is my my cousin Peter Bachner in Massachusetts, but I dump it on him and I say, organize this, you know. Well, you, you got know, it in it, some it, kind of organization. <laughs> well, you know, this is what I mean about, the, 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 the point is the intelligence is there, the, the message is there. Uh, the final way of crafting it into the sequential being, which then is consumed by the masses, that's the end product. And a lot of the time, that intelligence is lost by a lot of people because they don't have that bit of support or that mechanism of support. And I found that really, uh, truly with the book, which I'm putting, because I'm exactly where you are. I have got this mass. I mean, I'm going into Freud and I'm going into Piaget because it fits into the developmental of people coming to who they are. But that's all dependent on who they relate with. I mean, so we can't become our full selves unless we relate healthily with others. But if you start off from a neurodiverged perspective and you have a deficit, and remember, in neuroscience, our deficits are fixed pathological states within the brain, which are unchanging. That's very different from race. Race is a socially construct. You know, people turn around and say, there's only one race, it's the human race. But if you're neurodivergent, you're fixed, and that's it. So somehow you've got to actually marry your fixedness up with the language uh, of the day. And that's saying, hold it, difference, not pathologically defunct, process information differently. Scientists, society, how, how do we do that? And at the moment, if you come up with my type of intelligence, and that's why I'm galvanizing, you know, some universities and and some people to do review on my book, even before it's really published, for them to say, oh, we can see the real value in this. Uh, the next stage is now to try to get into a sequential package so that, you know, the general populace can 
uh, and do it. And I mean, challenges, even pictures I've got of myself, they're saying, you know, where's the permissions from this? This is a, a picture. We need permissions to release it. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, you're missing the point. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be successful and we'll, we'll look forward to it. Pierre Marsh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for being with us here and taking time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate it. We look forward to having you back soon as well. Brilliant. And thank you for being with us here on differentbrains.org. And um, thank you for having me and thank you for uh, allowing me to express myself. And it's great. Every time I speak to someone who's neurodivergent, the energy is fantastic. Love the sporting background. Uh, so it just all fits in to the same sort of thing. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I love the work you're doing. And I think you're right on the money. And that's why I was more than happy to be a part of this interview. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.